All right. Well, several weeks ago, I, uh, I was filling in for Nathan Whipple at his church up in Cass City. And whenever I go there, on top of preaching, I also have to lead in the singing. So you guys can be grateful you weren't subject to that this morning. Um, <clears throat> but we are, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> and when we do get into the passage, we are going to read 23 verses there. So we will be reading quite a few, and there's going to be um, another passage that we go to, but that's where we're going to get started. Um, but before we go ahead and get into into the passage here and into the message, let's go ahead and, I know Jeff just prayed, but I want to pray again real quick. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I just thank you for, again, the time that we've had to come together, God. And I just pray that as we, we look into your word just now, God, that, <clears throat> that we open our hearts to what it is that you have, that you would, that you would speak through me, allow me to speak your words, and uh, just allow me to, um, to speak what you'd have me to say today, God. And just uh, bless the time that we have and pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 this morning, and this morning we're going to talk about tradition, okay? We're going to be talking about tradition um, basically in the church and how tradition can be a good thing, obviously, and we're going to kind of get into that a little bit, but tradition can become a bad thing if we start to value it too much and over other things. Um, but before we get into the passage here, just want to kind of talk about traditions in general, not just in the church. You know, traditions can be great, right? Everyone has a different kind of tradition for different things. We have family traditions that we do, that we experience. There's um, all different kinds of um, traditions in many different areas. Um, and one thing that kind of comes to my mind, I guess, kind of due to what time of year we're dealing with is opening day. Now, when I say opening day, there's usually two different things that you can think about. One would be the first day of hunting, and two would be what we just had this last week, opening day of baseball. And um, opening day of baseball, there's all different kinds of traditions that go through that. Um, in Cincinnati, they have a parade every year for it, um, I guess kind of cl claiming to be maybe like the first professional baseball team in Cincinnati, and so they'd like to celebrate that, um, which if you're a fan of the Cincinnati Reds, that's about all you have to celebrate these years. Right, right around now, um, they don't have too great of a team, but our, our team, the Tigers, we don't have too much of a great team right now. But we're rebuilding. It's fine. Things are going to be good. We just got to be patient. We got to wait it out. We can watch the young guys develop. Um, but it's great. It's still baseball, right? That's something that I enjoy tremendously. I love baseball. I love opening day, everything that goes into it. Um, and actually, just this past week, uh, me and some of my family, we were able to go away to Chicago for a few days, and um, we were able to go. We didn't get a great look at Wrigley Field because they're doing, doing some construction on it right now. I mean, it's over 100 years old. It's going to need some renovations. It's going to need some updates. Um, but I've been a fan. Obviously, I love the Tigers first and foremost, but I've been a fan of the, the Chicago Cubs since I was a little kid, ever since the first time I saw the movie Rookie of the Year. Um, I love that movie. If you've never seen that movie, it's a great movie. It's about like this 12-year-old kid breaks his arm and it heals the wrong way, and now all of a sudden he can throw the ball 100 miles an hour, and then he plays for the Cubs. Ridiculous premise, but it's awesome, all right? But I've been a fan of the Cubs ever since then. Um, and so it was cool to kind of go down and, and check out some of that kind of stuff. But that's, that's one of the, the many traditions that I love. You know, it was opening day with baseball. 
And just within sports, there's all kinds of great traditions. You know, one of the things that, one of the areas of sports where tradition is really heavy is college football. And I know when I say college football to our specific group that we have here, there's all different kinds of feelings that come up. Um, not such good feelings towards other people in this group that we have. Um, you know, there's lots of great rivalries that are traditions in college sports. Um, not going to get too much into that. Don't want to get anybody in a foul mood. Um, but those are some great traditions um, that I enjoy, things like that. But like I said before, traditions can be fun and traditions can be great. And we're going to get into what kind of traditions I'm talking about in church and in, in Christianity in general, I suppose. Um, and they can be great and fun, but it can become dangerous if we start looking at them the wrong way. So let's go ahead and read in Mark chapter 7. We're going to read, like I said, the first 23 verses. So buckle up. It's going to be a little bit of a long ride here. But uh, So Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then came together under, unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, oft eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. So basically, it was part of their tradition to wash before they ate, which doesn't sound like too bad, right? That's, that's what we like to do. We like to wash our hands before we eat. We don't want to have dirty, grimy hands when we're putting things in our mouth. But we're going to get into why the Pharisees were so, I guess, kind of nitpicky at this. Um, verse 4, And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things were, and many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied, of you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside commandments of God, ye, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by, by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man that defileth the man. 
For, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lavish, lavish, lasciviousness. Wow, I've never struggled with that one before. An evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. All right, so uh, just to kind of go over what's happening here. It's kind of something that happens a lot throughout the Gospels that we read about, right? Jesus and his disciples are kind of going about their regular day, just doing normal things, not really doing anything out of the ordinary. And then the Pharisees, they come along, and they just they got to nitpick at what Jesus is doing. they got to try and find something to point at and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. Obviously, today was a very slow day if they're saying, hey, you didn't wash your hands before you ate. Why didn't you wash your hands? Those are the traditions of the elders. So that's... For just one example of how the disciples, they like to find literally anything they can to look at Jesus and say, hey, this is why we shouldn't be following him. This is why he's a bad guy, because he doesn't wash his hands before he eats. And that's just, like I said, a perfect example of what the, or what the Pharisees are to Jesus as we read throughout the, uh, throughout the Gospels. But the first point that I want to focus on is really kind of the theme of the first 13 verses there. And that is that the Pharisees, they had started to value tradition great over the commandments, over the commandments that were given to them by God. They call out Jesus and his disciples for not washing their hands, and they, they go into detail about how, well, they, you wash your food before you eat it, you wash your hands before you eat it. That's just the, the tradition of the elders. And so like I said before, they were really just trying to find literally anything that they could just point at and say, that's wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. They're really nitpicking. And that's something that, you know, we as Christians, we can kind of do to ourselves, you know, fellow Christians, people in the church, not this church specifically, but, you know, just other people in, in the church. And we can also do it with people outside of the church, people who might not be saved. And that's actually one of the reasons why it's hard to get people to come to church, to invite people to come to church, right? You can maybe talk to a relative or a coworker, whoever it might be, try and invite them to come to church. And they might have had an experience in the past where they had gone to church or they grew up in church even, and they felt that, you know, whenever they went there, they just couldn't do anything right. No matter what they did, somebody had to point out that they were doing something wrong. Um, and so a lot of ways we can kind of be like the Pharisees in this situation. We can really just kind of nitpick at little, literally any little thing, Christians or non-Christians, and really things that, in the grand scheme of things, aren't that important. Right? What are we supposed to be here for? What are we called as Christians? What is our job? To spread the gospel and to make disciples, right? That's what we're called to do. Now, we've all been called to do specific things based on the abilities and the talents that God's given us, but no matter what area that we go into, we're still called to share the gospel and make disciples of Christ and obviously love people with the love of Christ. But we like to say, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. You do this differently than I do it. Um, so what are some things that we like to nitpick at, right? Let's focus on just within the church. What are things that uh, Christians might like to nitpick at? And a lot of it can be just really tiny, trivial things that you would think is just completely ridiculous to nitpick at. Um, I went to, when I was in college, I knew a guy, he told me, and when he told me the story, I didn't believe him at all. thought he was making it up. And he told me that it definitely happened. His home church that he was from, um, I'm not sure what the reason was. For whatever reason, they had decided to kind of change 
you know, the order of the service, how they did things in the service. You know, we come in here, we open up, we do a song, we have our announcements, we do offering, we greet a couple more songs, and then the message. That's just kind of the order that we do things. But I don't know if you know this or not, that's not in the Bible, that we have to do it that way. That's just how we do it here, right? And so he was talking about how his home church, they had changed when they were going to take the offering. Well, believe it or not, some people threw a fit over that, right? They could not believe we're changing the time that we take the offering. This is the time that we're supposed to take the offering. Well, what's the basis for that? What, what is the basis that we have to take the offering at this point? And from what he was telling me, there wasn't any specific reason. They just, it was, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, maybe growing up with a sibling and you're arguing with them or maybe with a friend and you're arguing with them. And as you're arguing, you realize, like they say something and you realize, that was pretty stupid for me to think that or for me to say that. They're obviously right. I was completely in the wrong, but I'm still mad at them, so I'm going to keep arguing with them because I don't want to let them know that they won. And that's kind of how he was saying this whole thing went, right? They, they couldn't come up with any good reason, any actual answer as to why it's important to have the offering taken when we take it. But there are a few people who were so upset over it that they actually ended up leaving the church. Now, you know, that's also one of those things where you think you run into somebody out in public, you're at the store, and somebody just, like, something happens and they just go off on you. You know, they lose their mind. You, you have to think, there's no way that something that small can just make that person just lose it that easily. Something else had to happen earlier today or something else is going on that made that reaction happen. And so that's probably maybe why they, they left. There was something else that was really bugging them. There was other reasons. And maybe they just jumped on this like, hey, this is going to be our way out. This is going to be the wave that we ride out. The offering, they changed the offering. We're out of here. We're not having it anymore. But that's, that's one of the things that we can kind of nitpick on, right? It's something that's so trivial, so tiny and minute. Like, why would we be so concerned with that? Now that we take the offering at a different time, does that change what the gospel is? Does that change my standing with Christ if I've accepted salvation? I'm still saved. I'm still going to spend eternity with him. My sins have still been forgiven just because I give my offering in the plate 10 minutes later, Right? But that's some of the things that we like to nitpick on. It's just tiny little things like that. Um, so for a little bit more reference, I want to turn to a different passage. We're going to go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and we're going to read a few verses there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 9 through 16. <clears throat> says there, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Have you ever been that hungry, so hungry that you literally just pass out? You just fall asleep? See, I can't go to sleep when I am hungry. Um, now, when I was in college, it was a different story. kind of had to make myself go to sleep hungry because didn't always have food. And I'm like, well, I'm hungry don't have food here, don't really have anything to go get food with, might as well just go to sleep. But I've never been so hungry that I just fell asleep, right? That's what happened to Peter here, though. He fell into a trance, in verse 11, and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts, creeping things and fowls of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Basically, he's referencing what he was brought up as a young Jewish boy, which is funny. He's telling God, listen, these are the things that I grew up. It's not like he's informing God of this new thing that just came about. God gave these guidelines for them as Jews to follow. So it's not like he's saying, God, I can't do this. I've never eaten anything like this. God goes, I didn't think of that. You know, It's always funny to me when you know people in the Bible, they kind of tell God something when God clearly already knows. But we do the same thing too, right? So... He tells God, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 15, And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou and thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Okay, so basically what's happening, Peter, he's just a little background of what's happening here. Peter is getting ready to go share the gospel with the Gentiles. Okay, now you think about what that means, okay? Peter, he's been brought up a Jewish boy. He's lived with Jesus. He spent some time with Jesus in his ministry, and he's understanding that he has to go preach the gospel to these Gentiles who have a completely different way of living than him. And what what God's really trying to show Peter is, listen, make sure that you're give, when you're giving them the gospel that you're just giving them the gospel, okay? And there's a few important aspects here of what, what's going on. Basically, he's telling him, when you go and share the story of the gospel with them, you tell them how Jesus died for them and that they can have salvation through them. Make sure that you're not adding in your Jewish traditions into the gospel by going and saying, hey, you also need to do these things if you're going to be a follower of Christ. He wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to add things to the gospel, add stipulations of, okay, now that you're a follower of Christ, you have to live these certain ways. That wasn't the case. God didn't, didn't give those guidelines to those people. He gave those guidelines to the Jewish people. Um, but there's a few things that are important to kind of pull from that. Um, first of all, the fact that God told Peter not to call what I call clean, don't call that unclean or don't call that common. Basically, he's saying, if I'm telling you that these people, they need the gospel, they need the gospel, go give it to them. You know, Just because they live differently than you doesn't mean that they don't deserve the same gospel that you have. Okay. But there's a, another important thing I want to pull from this. It says that this happened three times where God told Peter to eat from the food that was there, even though it went against his Jewish traditions. He told him to eat. This happened three times, and then God raised it back up. Now, it doesn't say that Peter eventually ate. It doesn't say that God, you know, force-fed it to Peter. Um, It happened three times, and God rescinded it from him. The important thing there is God wasn't asking Peter to forget his traditions, to leave those behind. He wasn't asking Peter to go against how he was raised, right? And it wasn't going against the gospel, the story of the gospel, for him to still keep and hold those traditions. So basically he was saying, it's fine for you to have these traditions. It's fine for you to live with these guidelines. But also when you go and share the gospel with these people, these new people who haven't received it before, don't apply those guidelines to him. them. I didn't give those to them. There's nothing wrong with your t- traditions, but don't make your tradition part of the gospel. And that is one thing that um, a lot of times in the church can happen maybe a lot of times without people realizing it, right? We can make it so part of the church, something so part of the church to where we even kind of look at somebody and think, well, they must not be a Christian. Now, a couple weeks ago in the youth group, we we were talking about kind of the same idea, right? Basically, what we were talking about how was if, you know, on Wednesday night when we're upstairs having our group, if a new person had come in, 
Two new people had come in, looked completely different, right? Somebody who came in looked real kind of dirty, tattered, tore up, and somebody who came in looking real neat, you know, took care of themselves well, all of that. I said, okay, now which one of those people looks like a Christian, right? Now the correct answer is there's nobody that looks like a Christian, right? There's no specific look because if there was a specific look and we didn't all follow that look, then we're not Christians. But you think about what, what that means, right? You say, okay, if I have to look a certain way, if I have to dress a certain way, do all that kind of things, then where's the, where's the story of the gospel anywhere in that guideline of, you know, dressing this certain way and all that? And so basically that was kind of the, the whole gist of what we were talking about is that there shouldn't be anybody that we exclude because of how they look, because of how they were brought up. The gospel is for everybody. If we start saying, well, or that the gospel really isn't for that person, or if we kind of feel the Holy Spirit nudging us, hey, go, go witness to this person, go share the gospel with them, and we kind of try to ignore that, or we might even say, no, I don't want to go share it with them, or you, you like look at the person and say, I can't share the gospel with them. They're never going to get saved. We start looking at people that way without thinking about it, we're basically saying, well, I'm better than that person because I'm more deserving of the gospel, right? Which is kind of a funny thing to think about, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus coming, dying on the cross to save us of our sins so that our sins can be forgiven. So you would almost have to say that somebody that is more deserving of the gospel would be somebody who has more sin, right? Because they got a lot more that needs to be fixed. But that's not the point. The gospel is for everybody. There's no discrimination there. There's no guidelines as far as, okay, this person can, this person can't. That's, that's just not how it is. It's for everybody, no matter what the sin is, no matter who the person is. And that's really the, the lesson that God's wanting to make sure that Peter fully understands when he's about to go preach to this large group of people. And it's not necessarily that Peter kind of really had this idea where he was thinking, well, these people aren't really... Worth, worthy of the gospel. They don't deserve it like I deserve it. Um, but it was almost as if God was wanting to make sure that he wasn't allowing maybe his presuppositions of what those people were like to determine how he presented the gospel, how he talked to them. He didn't want him to talk down to them, right? Because if the guy bringing this new message to you, nothing that, something that you've never heard before, and he's kind of talking down to you about who you are and everything like that but because you're different, you're not really going to be interested in what he has to say. So God wants to make sure that Peter is understanding, listen, your traditions are fine, but don't, you know, weave it into what the gospel is. And our preferences can be fine, right? It was no problem that that church, you know, wanted to change their, when, when they did the offering, right? And it wasn't necessarily a problem that the people who didn't like it, they preferred to have the offering taken ahead of time. But it became a problem when they thought that it was a reason worthy of, you know, leaving the church. If you're willing to leave the church because of when the offering is taken up, then were you really even going to that church for the right reason in the first place? Because what's the reason that we come here? The reason we come here is to fellowship with each other, grow closer to Christ, study the Bible, and lift each other up, and prepare ourselves to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. So if, if we're willing to leave a church for you know, the offering, when the offering's taken, or, you know, Pastor John likes to joke around a lot about, you know, the color of the carpet. If we're willing to leave a church for that, then why were we even going to that church in the first place? And now I want to make sure it's, a, you know, that we understand that it's not bad to have preferences. You know, if you 
if you move to a new area and you're trying to find a new church to go to, you're going to find one where you kind of feel most comfortable, right? You know, whether it's how they do the music, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, the style of the church, you're going to try and find a place that, you know, you feel most comfortable with, that maybe aligns most with your preferences. But the main focus should be, are they preaching the Bible? Are they preaching the gospel? Do they stick to what this says? And then the other things are, you know, extra, you know, they're kind of the add-ons. So it's not, it's not wrong to pick a church because you like how they do things. But I would say don't pick a church to, you know, say, well, I really like, I really like the pastor, you know, his, his, his style of teaching. That's why I'm going to go there. It's not wrong to enjoy how a pastor teaches, how he preaches, but you should be more focused on what it is that he's preaching, right? Whether he's a big charismatic, you know, always waving his hands around, pounding the pulpit, or just really kind of, you know, just kind of staring down and reading his notes the entire time and just kind of talking in this monotone the entire time. If you enjoy that, great. That, that wouldn't grip me very well. It, I'd, I'd really have to try and focus on the content of it and try and focus on the words that the pastor or the preacher would be saying. Um, but that's just something that I kind of want us to, to focus on um, because one thing that I learned when I was in college and was on student leadership was if I made, I had two different positions when I was on student leadership. First, I was a prayer leader. Basically, just led a small group devotion once a week with like five or six guys and just kind of tried to, you know, build relationships with those guys, see how they were doing. Um, and then after that, I was, at the time, it was called spiritual life director, which sounds so holy, doesn't it? A spiritual life director. I'm going to direct your spiritual life. That's what I'm here to do. Um, but basically what we were is we were a prayer leader to the prayer leaders. It's just a real simple way of saying it. Um, so that the prayer leaders had somebody that was pouring into them. But what I learned is if, I, if, if my ministry with the guys in my prayer group or the prayer leaders that I'm you know, kind of leading a devotion with, if my ministry with them is focused on me, then when I graduate and leave, that ministry is going to crumble and fall apart, right? Because the foundation of that ministry is no longer there. But if I focus and made sure that the focus of the ministry that I was doing was on Jesus and that that was the foundation, then when I left, whoever stepped in behind me, they could just pick right up where, where I left off and that ministry wouldn't fall apart. It would stay strong and keep going. And that's what we need to focus on when we're a part of a church, right? If we're involved in a ministry, um, what is the focus of that? Why am I going to this church? Why am I involved in this ministry? Am I involved in this ministry to bring attention to myself, to elevate myself, to make myself feel good? Or am I in this ministry or a part of this church to help advance the cause of Christ? And so that's why we need to make sure that when we're doing these things, when we are involved in these ministries, involved in this church, in this community, that we aren't adding in our own, our own specific preferences into what it is that we're teaching. Jesus is the focus. You know, we can have things on the side that, you know, our preferences, but that cannot be elevated above the actual, actual message, right? So that's, that's what Jesus is doing here with Peter. He's making sure he understands. When you go preach to these Gentiles, don't force your Jewish traditions on them. Um, but kind of going back to the, the passage in Mark, if you want to go, you can turn back there. We're going to be referencing it. Um, but the Pharisees, they were prioritizing their traditions over the commandments that were given to them by God. And Jesus even said that. He told them, 
you're valuing your traditions, you're putting them above the commandments that were given to you by God, right? And throughout this entire time, that's really what even the Pharisees, they referred to this as. It was just the tradition of the elders. It wasn't even like part of the law that they were supposed to be following. It was the tradition of the elders to, to be doing this. Now, true, the Jewish people, they weren't supposed to eat you know, any unclean meat like Peter was talking about, but that's separate from what the Pharisees were talking about here. This was the tradition of the elders. Okay, And so the Pharisees, they were prioritizing their traditions over the commandments that were given to them by God. That's what we need to take away from this part. Um, and then also, obviously, that we shouldn't allow our preferences, our, you know, the things that we like, to get in the way of the gospel. We can have them, but they need to be below the gospel in our, our list of priorities. Now, the second thing that I want to look at in this passage, passage is the second, the second half that we read through, and the focus being that the heart of the man is what will defile the man. Okay? So Jesus teaches about what defiles a man, and he goes into detail. Um, he says it to the group that he's with first, and then later the disciples ask him about it, and then Jesus, like he had to do many times before, he had to kind of sit down and re-explain something to disciples, you know, kind of get out and describe it word by word, slow it down for them, get out his flannel graph, show them the nice pictures of how it is or what it is that I'm trying to get across to you because the, the disciples, they didn't always get it, right? And we like to look down on the disciples, like, how can you not get that? Well, newsflash, the disciples were there and they were like that because that's how we are a lot. And so we can they asked the questions so that we can have the answers that Jesus gave them. Because a lot of times we needed those answers. We needed that clarification. So we can look down at disciples all we want, but remember that, you know, it's in the Bible for a reason. They asked Jesus those questions so that we can have the answers that he gave. So basically what Jesus is kind of getting across here in these verses is that we aren't controlled by others. He says that, that which is without the man, those, that are, those things that are around us, outside of us, they don't defile us. The only way that something outside of us can defile us is if we allow it to, right? If we give it that power. So basically it comes down to the idea of the fact that we make our own decisions. Um, and anytime I get into, I guess, this kind of subject of allowing something um, to have control over us or making our own decisions, anything like that, it all comes back to uh, what Rick Fox always always says. Somehow, I don't know how he does it, it's great, but no matter what passage he reads from, no matter what lesson he teaches, it all comes back to making the right choice. It all comes back to choices. And there's sometimes, you know, in, in the past years when he's been reading from a passage and talking about things for a good 30 minutes, and then, and then he goes, you know, it all comes back to choices. And I just kind of look at him and go, that was impressive. That, that, was, that was pretty good how you did that. I didn't see that. I knew it was coming. I couldn't figure out how you were going to make that connection, but you did. And it's never out of context, but it's true. Everything that, you know, our Christian life is about, it really comes down to making the right choice day to day, minute by minute, making sure that the, the choices that we're making, the decisions that we're making are on, on course with God's will, in line with what he has for our life. Um, and that's really what, what Jesus is talking about here. The things that are outside of us, that's not what's going to defile us. It's going to be our heart. Now, we can allow things on the outside to get in and infiltrate our heart, but again, that's us allowing it to happen. This, this whole thing makes me think of something, you know, that you hear people say sometimes, um, really that you kind of read in the Bible several times, and that is, the devil made me do it, right? Well, I didn't mean to lie to that person. I didn't want to steal that, whatever that was. 
The devil made me do it. Really, the devil made you do it. You had no control in it whatsoever. He just took over you. You know, you're like a puppet now, and you had no control. You just look around. I can't... I have no control of what's going on right now. He has complete control over me. I, I can't even stop going in this direction. No, you, you allowed it to happen. The devil didn't make you do it. That's Adam and Eve, right? Well, you know, the devil made me do it. And God wasn't having any of that, right? He didn't buy that for one second. The devil made them do it. Um, another thing that comes to mind is blaming a sibling for something that you did, right? Anybody ever had that happen? See, I, I'm not going to say that I was ever without fault, but I feel like I was typically more so on the other side of that. I was the one blamed for something that I didn't do. Um, there was several specific situations that happened. Um, I don't want to draw any attention to anybody. Um, uh, but there was one time in particular, I don't even really remember what it was that happened because I didn't do it. <laughs> but I don't remember the specific act that occurred. But my sister, she did something, and I was getting in trouble for it. And my dad knew that I didn't do it. But he was punishing me to try and get her to say something about it, right? The worst part about it, she sat there and watched the whole thing happen, <laughs> didn't say a word. The longest I ever seen her not say a word <laughs> was when I was getting punished for something that she did, right? So that, that's kind of what this is. The devil made me do it, or blaming a sibling for something that we did, okay? Now, like I said, I wasn't blameless. I was also the person growing up still sometimes where I was the instigator, where... You know, I thought that I was clever enough, like, you know, it'd be really cool if we did this, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to encourage you to do it. I get the joy of seeing it done. And then at the end, I can be like, I didn't do it. I was just standing there. He did it. You know, I actually got some people in trouble for that one time. Um, Jeff knows that story uh, pretty well. Um, got Jeff in trouble sometimes, or one time with some water balloons where I wasn't involved, but I was, I was right there along, egging him on, like, yeah, we should do it. That's a great idea. And then everyone was getting in trouble, but I didn't do anything. They did it. <laughs> Even though I was maybe the driving force behind the idea, whatever it might have been. Um, but that's kind of, the, you know, the only thing that we allow to defile our heart, the only thing that we allow to have any influence over us is just that, what we allow to have influence over us. Nothing has control over us except for ourselves. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Things that are outside of us, they can't defile us. It all comes from the heart. Um, and so basically that's what, let's, let's look at it with the context of what's happening here, right? These ceremonial washing of the hands, um, all of that. Those ceremonial practices, or like we're talking about in our, in our world today, our preferences within the church, how we do things, that's not what's going to affect our heart, right? It's the gospel. It's, it's why are we here as a church? That's what's going to affect our heart. So our preferences within the church isn't what's going to decide whether or not we're saved, right? Whether we do our order of service better than they do it down the road. Uh, that has nothing to do with any of it, right? It all comes back to what, what's the gospel. 
So, you know, our music, our order of service, how we dress, the ministries that we're involved in, that has nothing to do with it. Those are, you know, kind of secondary level things. The foundation is still the Bible. It reminds me of when I was in school, I had a, a youth professor. He had this great illustration to kind of describe what, you know, I mean, for that class, it was directed specifically towards some kind of youth ministry, but really any kind of ministry that we have. He had a great illustration for it, um, and it was this picture of, you know, a Krispy Kreme donut box. And I may have mentioned this illustration before. Now, part of the reason this illustration was so great was because when he talked about it, he brought in Krispy Kreme donuts for class, which was awesome. But basically what he was saying was, you know, the box serves a purpose just as much as the donuts do, okay? Now, if you think of the ministry that you're involved in as the box and the donuts, the box is kind of, you know, the, um, I guess, the structure of your ministry, the events that you do, just the way that you do things, right? And that is going to draw certain kind of people. Certain people are drawn to certain interests. And so focusing specifically on like a youth ministry, you know, they're going to want to do all kinds of fun things that teenagers want to do. You're going to need that kind of stuff that's that's going to want to bring them in. But when they're there, you still need to have the gospel. So that's what the Krispy Kreme donut box is. When you see a Krispy Kreme donut box, if you've ever had them before, you see that box, you start getting excited, right? Because you know what that box means. You know what's about to happen. You know what's coming your way. And that's what draws you in. Now, those are the events, the activities that you do within the ministry. Now, if you go to that ministry, you show up, and it's just there's nothing going on. You know, there's not really any, any structure with the Bible. There, there's no reference to the gospel or anything like that. There's nothing there. It's just all this, the fancy stuff on the outside. You know, you get there, and there's really no substance. It's like you, you see that box of Krispy Kremes, and you go over and you open it, and it's empty, Right? That's got to be like maybe the biggest letdown ever. Who took the last Krispy Kreme out of the box and didn't get rid of the box, right? Why would you do that? You're just giving false hopes to somebody who's coming back looking for a donut, and they open it, and there's nothing in there. If you take the last donut, throw the box away. It's that simple. And that's, that's the, the image that he kind of gave as far as what our ministry should be like, right? You're still going to need some kind of structure the way that we do you know, our service here, that's, you're going to need some kind of structure to kind of, you know, draw somebody in. When somebody drives by, they see the building even, they say, and we have a sign too, they see the building, like, okay, that's the church, I'm going to go see what that church is about. And if they come in here and we just, you know, just kind of talk, be like, how's everybody doing, you know, you're great, you're all great, you know, God loves you, have a great week. We did that, like, sure, it's great to have somebody tell you that, it makes you feel good, but what does that do for you? Like, aside from that one moment when someone looks at you with a smile and tells you you're great, you know, it, it gets you through that moment, and then beyond that, there's nothing because there's no substance there. And that's, that's where the ceremonial practices, our preferences, you know, the structure kind of gets overvalued over why it is we're here. They were allowing that to overvalue the, the commandments that God gave them. They were prioritizing that over the important things. And so it's important to remember, in both of these situations, it kind of mentioned it with Peter, but God, he didn't force Peter to, to go against his traditions. He didn't force him to eat of that food that went against the way he was brought up. And then even, even in this story with the Pharisees, Jesus not once, he, he never told them, 
that it was wrong for them to want to wash their hands, that it was wrong for them to make sure that they were clean, that the food was clean. He never once condemned them for their tradition or for that practice. What he condemned them for was placing it above the commandments that were given to them. And so I think that's a really kind of cool thing to look at is that Jesus wasn't condemning them for what it was that they're doing. And it's the same thing with our preferences, our traditions. Like I said before, they're, they're not bad unless the, the preference that we have or the tradition itself goes in direct contrast with what the Bible says. If it's completely against the Bible, yes, it's completely wrong. And get rid of it. But if the tradition that you have, it, it, it's not going against the gospel, it's not going against what God would want for us, it's fine to have that. I'm not going to tell you to stop doing that. That's what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't tell them it's stupid for them to want to wash their hands, doesn't condemn them for it. He just says, let's take a step back. Let's see why is it that we're doing this? Why is it that we're valuing it so much? So it's fine to have that, but keep it in check, right? Don't make it more important than, than the message. And that, that, I think, is probably one of the most important things that we can draw from this. Because we can, we know as Christians, we're supposed to live like Christ. We're supposed to model ourselves after him. But in the next moment, we might go out and we might not have actually even say something to somebody about we don't like how they're doing something or, or they should, should be doing something a different way. But we might be thinking about it and maybe even looking down at that person. And that's where it really becomes a problem. Like I mentioned before, when we start, you know, passing up on an opportunity to share the gospel with someone because we're judging that person. Now, there's plenty of times where, you know, you might feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to go share the gospel with a person, and you might not want to because you're nervous, you don't know what to say. You know, that's totally normal. That's something that, you know, we talk a lot about with the teens on Wednesday nights is that a lot of times teenagers, they, the one thing that you, they, they would say if you ask them, like, well, um, why is it hard to share the gospel with someone, whether it's your friends or whoever? The number one thing that they would typically say is, well, I don't know what to say. And it's not because they have any kind of doubts or lack of knowledge in their own salvation. They're sure of their salvation. But, I mean, honestly, even for us, that's, that's kind of a, a difficult thing to do sometimes, you know, knowing what to say. It's a difficult conversation to even start, to just go up to somebody and start telling them the gospel. That's why it's important for us to, you know, the best way, I think, to share the gospel is when we've, had, when we've made a connection with a person, we have some kind of relationship there, we're able to make a connection with that person, and then through that connection, whatever kind of shared or common interests we have, it can kind of come up naturally that way, or you can just kind of share your life with them, right? There was a, um, one of the campus pastors when I was in school, he always used to say, and not saying this is his phrase that he came up with, if you've read it somewhere else, I'm not taking credit away from that person. But basically what he said is that um, your students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's, that's a great thing to understand when it comes to sharing the gospel or leading in a ministry or just, you know, inviting somebody to church. No one's going to care to hear what you have to say if they feel like you're just doing it because you feel you have to. If, if they feel like you're looking down on them like we were talking about, nobody cares what you have to say. They don't care how much you know about the Bible. If they have the feeling of, you know, 
they don't care about me one way or the other. They're just doing this because they feel that they have to, right? And when we're sharing the gospel, we need to make that connection with somebody. How do we make that connection is by living how Jesus lived, just living with the love of Christ, showing the love of Christ to other people, and when they see that, we're able to make that connection. But if we go out and we're nitpicking at somebody and even just kind of looking down at somebody and we're passing opportunities to share the gospel simply because, well, I don't think they'll ever accept the, the gospel. Well, what made you accept the gospel? Like, what, what is it that you have that they don't have to where you're so much more intelligent, you understand things so much more easily that, well, they'll never understand it, you know, they've done too much wrong, they'll never want to do it. That, that's not only valuing yourself above them, saying, well, I'm more worthy of the gospel. It's taking power away from the gospel. It's taking power away from the Bible and the words of Christ, right? That's what our message needs to be. If our message is that, we're just the vessel. We're just the tool that God's using to bring that message to people. It has nothing to do with what we're doing, right? Anybody can come up here and be able to do this and just give the messages that I'm, like I'm doing here. Now, some of us might be more or less comfortable speaking in front of people. I never would have thought I'd be able to do something like this, right? Typically, not somebody who talks very much, uh, possibly due to the fact of the lack of silence that I mentioned earlier from siblings. But uh, just because, you know, somebody might not be the best speaker, might not be comfortable speaking, that doesn't change the fact that we can still share the gospel no matter who we are. There's plenty of people throughout the Bible that we read about who they might not have been the best speaker, but they were still, we read about all the things that they did. So that's what we need to focus on. What, it is, what is the message? We're, we are just the tool that's going forward. We need not to be applying any of our own preferences, ideas, traditions to what it is that we're sharing. All we need to do is just share this, which really is a lot more simple than what we like to do sometimes. Because if somebody starts asking questions like, well, why this, why that? It's a lot easier to say, well, it says it right here, than, well, you know, that's just how I've always done it. That's how I like to do it. Then they're starting to look be like, like, what's this guy selling? Like, is, is it, it what it's saying here? He's not matching up. So really it, making things more difficult for ourselves when we start adding things like that to the gospel. Just focus on what the message is. So how do we take this and apply this to our our life as we go forward, what we're seeing here. Basically, it's, it's important to remember, one, that it's not wrong to have, you know, traditions or, you know, certain ceremonial practices, whatever you want to call it. It's not wrong to have anything like that um, as long as we keep them in check and understand this isn't why I'm here. I'm not a Christian because of the way that I do this, right? Um, we shouldn't be looking down on other people, whether it's a fellow Christian or a non a non-fellow Christian, because they do something different. They do something different, that just means they do something different, right? It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make what we do right. They just do it different. As long as both things, the common goal is the gospel, that's fine. You know, I saw, um, uh, I forget where it was, but it was an actor talking about he never, you know, bought into the idea of preparing for a role or, you know, learning lines how they prepare to perform, he never bought into the idea of doing it that a right way or a wrong way, that there's one way to do it. He said all that matters is when the red light goes on that we all, you know, we're on, on board. We're on the same page. You can prepare for your role. You can study your lines a certain way. I can do mine completely different. 
But once the performance comes, that's what matters. That's what it is with the gospel. We can, we can run things here differently than someone who runs things different somewhere else. Even within our church, our individual ministries can be structured a little differently, might be run a different, little different way. That's just because we're all different people. You're never going to please everybody, right? And so it's fine that we do things different ways, but as long as when it gets to what's important, the gospel, that that's the focus, that's the driving point, and that's what we bring everything back to, then our little preferences, they don't really matter. It's what is the focus. So align ourselves with the gospel and the rest of God's word. Uh, But remember that when we see fellow Christians going against the Bible, obviously, that's when we need to step up and call it out. Don't worry if they're doing something different. just because it's different. But if it goes against the Bible, that's when we need to say something. So don't let our personal preferences overshadow the gospel is basically what we need to take with us. And that might be present in our lives in many different ways. We might be actually vocal about it, um, condemning other people or talking bad about people behind their backs or talking bad about another church for the way that they do things. Um, However it might be, it could be just completely inside our minds where we are looking at somebody and instead of just saying, hmm, that's, I guess that's a different way to go about it. That's interesting. Instead of doing that, kind of look at it and be like, why are they doing it that way? Why, why is that how they do it? You know, as long as we understand why, why are we all here? It started out saying that we're all here for one main purpose. That's to share the gospel and make disciples, right? We've all been called to do different things in our lives, different vocations, different jobs, but we can still share the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission in all those different areas, right? When, when, we, were, when we had uh, the football Sunday uh, for the Super Bowl here, we were able to see guys who are professional football players. Any professional football players in here? I don't think so. Um, maybe some of us thought that we could have been that at one point and then realized, you know, not too many... Five foot ten, 150-pound linemen out there. So it might not be the best job for me. Um, but those people, they have a different job, something where they're always constantly traveling around all different kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds on a completely or an extremely public platform that they have, and they're able to live their life for Christ, and they're able to use the platform that they have to help fulfill the Great Commission. Now, just because they have a more public platform, just because they're in the public eye more than we are, doesn't mean we can't have just as big of an impact, right? Uh, When Paul was around back in the times of the New Testament, there wasn't any TV or any Instagram or anything for anybody to look and see, hey, did you see what this guy Paul said? That's a pretty cool thing that Paul said, right? He, He didn't become famous like that, like somebody nowadays who has that kind of platform, but he had a tremendous impact, right? He wrote a great portion of the New Testament. The importance isn't what it is that we do. It's how do we use what we do to advance the gospel, right? No matter what we do, we can still share the gospel and fulfill a great commission no matter what our path is, no matter what God's called us to. He's called us all to fulfill that great commission, but he's called us all in a different path. And as long as when we're on that path, we're not adding anything to the gospel, we're not forcing anything upon somebody other than what this Bible says, that's when we know that we're going in the right direction, right? So again, let's not let our personal preferences overshadow the gospel in any way that that might be prevalent in our life. So what I want us to kind of do is Look at ourselves, think, is there any way where I am 
maybe looking down on somebody for the way that they do something, maybe judging somebody for, for something as long as, or as, as far as how they do things in a ministry or how they live their life, right? Making different decisions. Because what I need to focus on is how am I, I living my life? Is my life aligned with the gospel? And that's, that's what the focus needs to be. Let's look at ourselves, examine ourselves. Am I allowing my preferences, my traditions, uh, the way that I like to do things, hinder my ability to share the gospel? So let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to have a time of invitation. And uh, that's, that's what I want us to kind of to do during this time of invitation, just kind of, um, like I said, examine ourselves, take inventory of ourselves, and just kind of see where do we stand as far as this is concerned. Am I allowing anything in my life to overshadow the gospel? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time that we've had to go into your word and uh, just to be able to understand that it's fine for us to do things certain ways. It's fine for us to have preferences of how we do things, um, but that we need to make sure that our focus at the foundation of everything that we do in every situation of our life needs to be the Bible, needs to be the gospel in and, and, and Jesus Christ. And I just pray that as we, we conclude this morning and go throughout our day, that we're able to, to look at ourselves and really just kind of find anything in our lives that we're allowing to hinder our ability to share the gospel with other people. Is there something that we have in our life that we maybe makes us feel better than somebody else, makes us feel more deserving to not even have salvation, but to be able to share the gospel with somebody. I just pray that we learn to keep the focus on you. Um, because really, God, when we keep the focus on you and off ourselves, that really relieves the burden that we put on ourselves, God, to, to draw focus to ourselves, to add things to how we need to do things, God. I pray that we just remember that we focus on the fact that if we just look to you and lean, lean on you and face and make sure that the foundation of everything is you, that everything becomes easier, God. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be smooth sailing, but it's going to be easier if we just rely on you. So I pray that we just look at ourselves now, take some time for ourselves as we uh, spend time in this invitation, God, to uh, really examine to see if we are placing anything above the gospel, whatever it is, God. Just be with us through this time. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and stand with us. We're going to sing a song. Uh, if you feel you want to come to the altar, that's, that's fine. You can do that. You can stay in your seat and pray to yourself. Whatever it is that you want to do, we're going to take some time for invitation.